something that God is calling his people to do because of what he's done, because of who he is. Paul's letters, as a matter of fact, basically all of the New Testament letters are set up that way. This is who you are in Christ, and this is what that looks like. But Acts isn't a letter, and that's not actually the point of this text. There are going to be plenty of scriptures that are going to call us to do, to do things, and we're going to be specific in those things. But today, Acts 1, 1 to 11 calls us to see, to look, to, to behold. But, but to behold what? What is it that by, by looking at it can shape us, can shape our affections and, our, and desires so that when we see the sin around us, we're not led to despair? And not just kind of a general idea of sin. Slim mentioned earlier these mass shootings that have happened specifically in the last 24 hours. A mass shooting in Idaho, a mass shooting in, in, El, in El Paso. Sorry, um, in Dayton, Ohio. And these things have, weren't, weren't just motivated by just sin in general, but especially the El Paso shooting was motivated by white supremacy in particular. The El Paso shooter had a manifesto where he supported the mass shooting in, in New Zealand and outlined fears that his fears of Hispanics taking power and saying that, that they were instrumental in the United States rotting from the inside out. A few words about this. We're not going to do this every Sunday, but this is a, but this is particular for this for this Sunday. People are not flesh-eating bacteria. Even this murderous and depraved man who acted out these things. I'm going to be clear about this. I'm going to be clear about this now. White supremacy and its ilk have no will have no foothold in this church, and they ought to have no foothold in the minds and the hearts of God's people. It is evil. It is demonic, and in the language of Scripture, it is antichrist. And we as a leadership and a church are committed to rooting that sin out as well as every single sinful act, word, or thought. We seek to put that sin to death in our hearts, in the hearts of our brothers and sisters and neighbors, and we pray that it is put to death in this world. But what hope do we have that that work is actually going to be done? That's what we're going to talk about this morning because it seems that for many of us this morning, what we need is a sure place to rest and a sure place to hold. And so Jesus, after he was miraculously conceived, after he lived, when he preached, died, and was raised, he ascended. And this was probably a pretty serious shock for his disciples. Because right when the disciples thought that their main need was for, was for Jesus to stay with them, he tells them, no, that's not actually what you Jesus would say elsewhere in the Gospel of John that it's to their benefit that he leaves. What? Why? Why in the world does Jesus leave earth? And so I invite you with the words of the funk band Lakeside, come along and ride on a fantastic voyage. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. 
when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not really no times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Even in the midst of their constant unfaithfulness. 
It's about a God who enters into a covenant with the people whom he has chosen. Where a covenant is a kind of contract, but in the case of God, it's a series of promises that he makes to the people that he's going to save. These promises bind him to his people, and they bind his people to him. And in these promises, in this covenant, he promised a king. A king who would free the people of Israel from bondage, from exile, and from their sin. And the earliest we see this is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 3, if you don't know the story yet, after God creates human beings, he creates them very good, he places them in the Garden of Eden, and he makes an agreement with them. He tells them, you guys can eat from any tree in this entire garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat from that one, in that day, you will die. Well, guess what? Long story short, they eat from it. They're kicked out of the garden, and they pass this, they pass this tendency towards sin, this tendency toward disobedience, toward hatred of God, toward hatred of neighbor. They pass that on to all of their offspring, to each and every one of us. Because a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And so we're all brought into this world stained by sin. And yet, even in their punishment, God gives a sliver of hope. In the curse on the serpent who deceived Eve, God places a promise. In Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first declaration of a gospel that will be preached throughout the Old Testament. That through the slavery of Israel under Egypt, through their journey through the wilderness and into the promised land, through the judges, through the kings, through the exile, through their being exiled in various foreign lands, that a king, an eternal king, was coming. One who would suffer an injury on his heel from crushing the head of the serpent. One whose injury would, in the grand scheme of things, seem insignificant if when one viewed the magnitude of his victory. That's going to be important in a minute. But the people hearing Jesus in the synagogue would hear that Jesus was claiming to be that servant prophesied in Isaiah. That if they could hear the text, they would, they would think, if their, eye, their ears and eyes were open, that the king has come. And throughout his ministry, Christ emphasized that he was Lord over all, and that he cared for all. Not just Jews, but Gentiles. Not just men, but especially women and children. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, okay, that's all right. Especially the poor. Especially the marginalized. It's these whom Jesus gravitated toward, those who knew that they were in need of the grace of God in order to survive. It was these whom he healed, preached to, and brought to himself. It was for these people, the least, whose sins he was to bear, the sins of the world. And yet even though he lived a sinless life, he was tried and put to death for blasphemy and insurrection. And the Lord God would give to him the throne. 
throne is Father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This Jesus? Is this your king? Of course not. And for almost three days, the disciples had to sit in that. They had to sit in that despair. The guy that they thought would be the answer to their prayers, their hopes, and their dreams was dead and buried.
while they were gazing into heaven as he went, staring intently. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so in these two sentences, we have a command and a promise. The command, stop standing still staring into heaven. When our eyes are exclusively looking up, we can very easily ignore the concerns of our lives. And this has been a problem in the church, an exaltation of the spiritual to the detriment of the physical. It's not saying that it's, it's not saying that there's an order there, but to ignore one for the sake of the other is a problem. We see it when we see people say that concerns of racial and economic justice ought to have no place in our preaching, ought to have no place in how we execute the word. When, when, we, when, when we, we see it, when we're tempted to ignore the needs of our bodies in order to serve our souls and our minds, when we neglect things like sleep, when we neglect things like food, when we neglect things like fellowship with one another, and yet true faithfulness to the gospel means that our love means that love of God, which flows immediately from God, love of us, but that love of God flows into love of neighbor because God has loved us first. So the early church, which understood itself to be saved by the grace of God, and which understood other human beings as created in the infant in, in, in the image of God, took in infants that were treated like unwanted garbage by, by Roman society and raised them in the in the family of faith. So African slaves in this country saw through the over-spiritualized gospel that was preached to them in order to keep them servile, and instead saw a God who cared not only about their spiritual needs, but also about their physical oppression. So we must not merely be an upwardly gazing people, though we must be, but we must be a people who recognize that the goal is upward and the mission is outward. We've been called to go out because Jesus went up. And as long as he stays up, we've still got witnessing to do. Because he's coming back. And that's the promise. He's coming back the same way that he came. And that's the third and final cloud of the earth. Because the clouds, clouds show up in Luke's, in, in Luke's gospel and in Acts three times. First time they show up is when he's transfigured on the mountain. And only Peter, James, and John see him there. But the eleven see his glory when he's, when he's raised up into heaven. But the third time, the third time we see this cloud, when he comes finally, all will see, and all will see his glory. And for some, that's going to be a moment of terrifying judgment. But for us, if we are united to him by faith through the Holy Spirit, we will reign with him. That, brothers and sisters, is your life if you have been united to Christ. He didn't get up and go up for you to give up. Some of you may be in situations that are above your head that you can't handle, that you can't see a way out. But the ascension of Christ reminds us that we have an advocate sitting on the throne of the universe. And nothing can pluck us out of his hand. That is our sure hope. That is our peace. That is our only hope. And it is our only peace. He ascended above all the heavens so that he could fill
not done so, I invite you. Repent. Believe the gospel. Be joined to the body of Christ, the church. Because we're a messy bunch. But this is how the Spirit works. Because this is where the Son of God has chosen to dwell among people. And that is 